This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. We elves try to stick to the four main food groups. Candy, candy canes, candy corns, and syrup. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and as you can tell from the fact that I'm talking to you right now, I am not retired, but I hope to be someday soonish, or at least sometime before my hips go. To help you plan for your retirement, today we welcome, from the Retirement Answer Man podcast, Roger Whitney. On our roundtable, we welcome a man who was old enough to retire when Lincoln was shot from LenPenzo.com, John Wilkes Booth. Nah, he's still in line for Hamilton tickets, so we can only get Len Penzo. And a woman who will never retire, and not just because of her impulse bookstore shopping, but because she loves her job as our writer, Paulette Perhatch. Then it's the year-end party season, and for many of us, that means add to the waistline season. Here with some tips to keep your health and wellness together, we welcome the founder of MetPro, Angelo Poli. And now, a guy who wants to help you put the gold in your golden years, it's Joe Salcihai. Hey there, stackers, and happy weekend to you. I'm so glad you found us, and we're about to have a rousing discussion on how the other half invests. But let's talk about this half right now, because we've got a great panel together. First of all, Doug, thank you for a nice, succinct open. How are you, my friend? Feeling good, looking good, Joe. Well, feeling good. One out of two. Amen. Looking good. (laughs) And... The gentleman deep under Los Angeles joining us again, where I'm sure it's party time celebrating the end of another long week. Mr. Len Penzo's here. Did somebody say gold, Doug? Did you say, who said gold there? I thought I heard somebody mention that. I said gold in your golden years. Yeah, very good. I'm doing very well, Joe. Thank you very much. I hope you are too, sir. That is the first week, Doug, in like four that Len wasn't leading up to some pun. (laughs) Like I was waiting for the bad pun. I was so waiting. Well, are you okay? It's a long show, Joe. <laughs> the show has just got started. And maybe the woman who's bringing the puns this week, because she does on our show often, and a lot of them come out of all of our mouths. Paulette Perhage is here. How are you? I'm doing great. Just uh, working on my writing, working on my coaching, talking to you guys. I always feel like having you here is like sometimes having the puppet master here. Like some of the things people say, oh, they, Doug said that thing. It was so funny or Joe or OG. And we're like, yeah, that was Paulette. <laughs> but good things happening. Holiday season going well for you? Um, yes, I am super excited. I'm working on celebrating my friends while trying to stay in my budget, thinking about making some 
beautiful muffin baskets for just my acquaintances and community and dropping those off and trying to plan ahead so that I'm not just panic shopping at the end of it, which is kind of where I tend to go. By the way, speaking of muffin baskets, we have uh, Angelo Poli here today. So Doug's not making a muffin top. Don't tell Angelo they're not healthy muffins. <laughs> I'm not, not worried. <laughs> I, I will make sure that we don't tell him about those. And we won't they tell him about Doug's muffin top. Them, Joe. Oh, yeah, really? Oh, is goat. That yes. Secret ingredient. And the gentleman who I think needs a frequent flyer club uh, card because he's been here so much. Not a lot this year, though. So we're, I think, a little overdue. Roger Whitney's here with us. How are you, my friend? Speaking of muffin baskets, I thought you were referring to me. <laughs> but I am feeling better and looking better than Doug. That's a high bar. <laughs> it wow, is a- it starts already. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> We're like three minutes in. Well, for people that are new to Stacking Benjamins, Roger, they might not know the awesome Retirement Answer Man show or the Rock Retirement Community. Tell everybody about what you do. Yeah, we host the Rock Retirement Club. We have the Retirement Answer Man podcast, which we're coming up on eight years of shows, never missing a week, which blows me away. Wow. And we're about to do our uh, retirement plan live, live case study. So we're actually going to take a listener and have them on the show live and do a retirement plan for them on the show. You've done that in the past, and those are really fun, interesting episodes. Yeah, it's interesting. You have to sort of change their name and the circumstances, but it's fun to listen into somebody else going through something, and you can relate to it, I think. I think that's the appeal of it. So we're excited. We're doing somebody who doesn't have a pension, they retired in a bear market, and they're, they're not super wealthy. They are you know, a little worried about what's going on and try to hopefully yeah. give them some confidence. I don't know what you're talking about. There's something going on, Roger? What's going on? <laughs> just a few things. Just a few things. <laughs> just, just maybe a little something. Well, Roger, thanks for joining us. We got Roger here. We got Len here. We have Paulette. We have Doug. You know what, Roger? I was actually thinking the other day, I was thinking about you, and then... I thought about this instead. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. 
I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Weren't those amazing thoughts, Roger? Amazing. Amazing. Incredible. But we got a great show, so let's go. The piece today that is fueling our discussion comes to us from our friend Nick Majuli of dollarsanddata.com fame, a fantastic blogger. He also wrote a great book this year and appeared this spring. We'll link to our interview with Nick on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. But Nick dives into how the wealthy invest. And I think I'm going to hold back a little bit on a study that he's referencing here, uh, which dives into some numbers that wealthy people share about their investments. But just even seeing the headline and seeing the piece led me to believe that, you know what, a lot of us think about how wealthy people invest. And questions I get quite often are around, well, this thing seems really exclusive. Shouldn't I invest in this? So what a great time, I think, here today with Roger here to chat about wealthy people investing. Paulette, I want to start with you. Do you ever get FOMO hearing about all these cool, exclusive investment opportunities that these wealthy people get that the average person out there doesn't get access to? It does feel like more and more as you get older, as you see how the world really works, you're like, oh, there are entire realms that I will just never even be a part of. And it makes you want to give up. You're like, why should I even try? Right. And you do see how riches beget riches and debt begets debt. And that's just so true. And you kind of have to get over that hump. And then that, you know, trip to France comes up and you just get all set back on your credit cards and you're like, ah, got to get over it. But like, I've experienced it as far as networking with business and entrepreneurs after I had like that viral article about money and I found myself in these rooms at these like retreats with these women and I'm like, I had no idea this kind of thing was even going on. And if I won the lottery and suddenly had millions of dollars, I'd probably find myself in rooms and be like, oh, people who don't have money have no idea that this kind of thing is going on. So I don't know. Someone's got to tell me what it's like over there because I have no idea. It is interesting. You know, when you talk about wealth people in the same room together, I'm thinking about Dr. Thomas Stanley not only wrote The Millionaire Next Door, but he also wrote a couple books for marketers talking about marketing to The Millionaire Next Door and uh, networking with The Millionaire Next Door. And he talks about that, Paulette. He actually talks about how people that are millionaires and multimillionaires, they work almost exclusively through referrals, find a great opportunity and I'm in a room with you. I'm sharing the opportunity with you because the one thing we both don't have is time. Yeah. It just goes to show that Your network is huge. The people you're around are huge. And sometimes you think about these conferences that cost so much money and you're like, if I could get there, and that's why it's hard to break these patterns of generational wealth or opportunity. I want to say opportunity cost, but I'm saying that like how a lot of people don't get opportunities just because of the histories of their families and biases and all that that we're all trying to work through and figure out. But trying to break those cycles can be really hard because you see how if you are born wealthy, how that 
even learning the language of the wealthy or how people speak or even the etiquette can bring you into these worlds in ways that you don't even realize that you might be blocked out of if you didn't have that. I'm glad you brought this part up too, because we're going to have a roundtable about this next Friday. Everybody as well. We're going to talk about, do you need to have richer friends? And uh, we have a great roundtable plan for that. But, but to the investment point of this, Len, I think of you as an engineer, Len, your entire career and using though largely for the 10 years you and I have known each other using traditional investments. Do you ever get FOMO about the, you know, some of these other quote, quote, exclusive investments that uh, people are offering? I do. I actually do. I feel like I'm being left out. But you know what? A lot of those FOMO investments, like the private equity stuff and, and the hedge fund stuff, some of those things that you have to get invited to even join in, they're not always guaranteed. So it's kind of like, be careful what you wish for. I know there's a lot of them are successful and it makes people fabulously wealthy in a short amount of time. But there are others that just plain don't work out. So it's not as if all of these uh, some of these alternative investments, it's not like they're all guaranteed. So that's one way to kind of temper your fear of missing out, actually. Yeah, it could go south. Roger, you got to see this a lot with listeners, with clients. I mean, people bringing you, hey, I saw this hot thing. I saw this this great opportunity. I think we should get into it. What do you say to those people? Oh, there's so much here. And, and I think that we live in a world where the microphone is given to the people that have survived. If you think of survivorship bias, you know, what, what I was thinking of when Paulette was talking was we hear about amazing investments in this profile of somebody who made a zillion dollars doing something. That's like seeing the CEO of a company on the cover of Forbes magazine. And there's a good uh, presentation. I think Dimensional did it. They always want to highlight the, the stars that did well and had a good iteration of success. But what you don't see are all of the dead financial bodies that uh, are no longer with us. Mm, and yeah. so there, it, it's a skewed sense of reality that there are some amazing investments that somehow other people have access to that we don't that will solve our problems. I'm not an engineer like Len, but I am a process-driven person. And I always bring them back to what are we trying to accomplish? There are four stages to that. There's the vision, what it is we want to accomplish, how do we have a feasible plan to accomplish that? What resources do we have? And are they reasonably there to achieve the goal? How do we make it resilient so we don't get knocked off course by a bear market or a crypto implosion or whatever? That's kind of the guaranteed thing Len's talking about, right? Right. Well, you want to make sure it's resilient. Like it's a resilient yeah. for me to sail across the ocean. But if you just gave me a boat and a GPS, I'm not going to be there if something breaks or I got to be able to know that I have confidence to do it. And then lastly is optimization, which is like the bling of financial planning. And everybody focuses on optimization because it's sexy. And that's what we're talking about here with alternatives. But you should be able to achieve most of what you want within the constraints of reality if you never go down these pathways. I like what you're saying there, Roger, because I think one of the first things, I mean, you have to identify what you're trying to achieve and what you're trying to do. So I, I think when you're looking at your investments, one of the first questions that you need to ask yourself is, is this going to be an investment or is this a speculative thing where I want to try it? And mm. I'm not saying speculation is always bad. It's not, but it's just a matter of, you know, how much you want to allocate for something speculative versus something that's more of an investment, I think is important. I think what you're exactly. talking about, Roger, I mean, you have to kind of sit down and, and put some 
thinking about exactly what you're doing and why you're doing it. And, and that's what you were just talking about. It that was I totally resonates with me. Right. And to Joe's question, what do you say when somebody brings the crypto fund or or whatever it is, the real estate investment? I I don't like to argue battles that I don't really care about. And so the way I approach it is if if this is really important with you and I'll challenge their thinking a little bit. If they want to do it, I'm like, okay, do it. Let's carve out what is the reasonable amount to lens point of to speculate with that will not put the main plan at risk. I'll use myself as an example because I lost, who knows, maybe five, ten thousand dollars in cryptocurrency. I wanted to participate a little bit because I had that FOMO that you were talking about. So I went through the process and said, how much can I just make a bet on this? And hey, if it works, I'm going to feel good. If it loses, which it did so far, then my life will not be at risk. And I think that's, that's the what kind I of... I do that too, Roger, I mean, especially yeah. for the speculative, because I have my speculative things that I like to do. I, I talk about before on this podcast that I have these mining stocks, which are very... Uh, very volatile, and you can lose a lot very quickly. And I have, I have lost. There's a couple that I've lost, probably seventy five percent of my investment. But I knew going in, I did not allocate any more than I expected to lose. And if I was to lose a hundred, the amount I I put in was the amount that I was willing to lose. Yeah. And in some of those cases, I have so far, I've lost seventy five percent. But I'm not dying from it. I'm not. I'm not losing sleep over it right now because. I had thought about it and I understood the risks. Where I think it gets backwards is when we, th- and, and as Paulette was talking to you, made some really good points about when you have a lot of wealth, it has this compounding effect, right? Well, it just reminded me of when um, in that, the one page marketing plan book where he talks about how small businesses can't just look at a Coke ad or a Nike ad and say, well, I'm just going to copy that formula. They obviously know what they're doing because they're the big guys. We can't afford to brand as much. So every small ad needs to have different elements than those big brands. So you can't just look at super successful people and say, I'm going to copy exactly what they do because there's all these nuances. And that really, you know, I was like, wow, like I would think you could just say, I'm going to do whatever they're doing and I'll be fine. But if you see someone throwing $10,000 at crypto, but they are worth $100 million, that makes sense for them. It wouldn't make sense for me. Yeah, it doesn't work. It doesn't translate. You're right. I want to speak to the FOMO here for a second again, and uh, and this shiny object everybody else has. This is a TikTok from uh, Neil Brennan when he was on uh, Jimmy Fallon. We've spent the last five years being like sort of shamed about crypto. We're like, you got it? No, you're a coward. No, yeah, you're stupid. You're a stupid coward. You didn't get crypto. <laughs> and then uh, it's been sort of crashing the past couple months, and I got to say been pretty satisfying to watch (laughs) watching crypto crash is like watching the fire festival from a nearby boat (laughs) i think that but we did weren't we the last several years to neil's point where a lot of people shamed into oh you don't understand crypto you don't know anything about it you don't come on come on And I don't want to talk about crypto. Maybe there is a future in crypto and this is just the dark season for crypto. It's going to come back. I don't know. But this is more about the shame and the FOMO. And Paulette, you've written far more than anybody on this panel has written for all kinds of major publications. 
It seems to me there's a little clickbait in there though, right? You don't understand crypto. You are missing out. And is some of this FOMO we feel about readership and about, you know, sexiness so that we sell more advertising. What I love about being 20 years into my writing career and believing that writers have such an amazing value in this world is because we wield the emotions and things are so much more than numbers on a spreadsheet. People are all about emotions. Decisions are all about emotions. Clicks are all about emotions. So I know it's really fun to be able to be like, oh, yeah, I know. I know what you're doing. That's fine. Oh, here's time pressure. That's fine. Here's your appealing to my identity. That's fine. Especially for men, I think. If you say, oh, what are you, a wuss? You don't want to do crypto? Like that stuff is like, no, I'm brave. I'm, you know, like... Oh, I could do this. That. So yeah, totally. We Our emotions are played on nonstop. So I can laugh at the people who were all bravado about crypto and now, yeah, it's crashing. So you were wrong, right? But the thing I'm really sad for were all the people who were convinced and put a lot of money in and are going to be struggling because of that. So I think it's really important to talk about things in a calm, rational way and say, yeah, you, whenever you get excited, you got to let that pass for a second and come back to your spreadsheet, right? So really, and as someone with ADHD, like I'm all emotions. It's tough for me to come back and be like, can you really afford this? You know, I think... Definitely, there is clickbait there. And clickbait is all about emotions. And there was so much appeal. You know, Matt Damon in his ad about crypto, it's just like, oh, my God, so much manliness in the crypto thing. (laughs) And look where it got us. I have one more question before we break here in the middle of the show. When we come back, I'm going to want to dig into this, specifically exactly some of these uh, investments that wealthy people use. And also this, uh, it's a study that Nick Majuli in his piece is referencing. And we'll go through some of the fairly, to me, disturbing numbers here. But I want to end our first half here, Roger, with you, which is there's this idea financial planners have of suitability, right? Well, brokers have suitability as well, uh, suitable investments. There are some rules when it comes to suitability for some of these investments like hedge funds or non-traded real estate investments, Uh, There have been some that I've been fans of myself, like farmland investing. People have heard about here. They've heard about artwork here. But it feels to me like the past six or seven years with the new crowdfunding rules that the suitability requirements are going away. And now we can play in some of these waters we used to not be able to play in, right? Somebody with $1,000, with $2,000 now may be able to buy into an investment they couldn't buy into 10 years ago. Is this a good thing for us or is this a bad thing for us? Danger, Will Robertson, danger. Um, I wrote down two things. One, it creates a paradox of choice. Now you just have more sexy things to get attracted to. Here's something everybody has to understand. Rich does not equal smart. It is not the smart money that are buying exotic things. Those accreditation rules and suitability rules we're more around not the fact that they're sophisticated enough to make decisions about these things. It's more, they got enough money, so if they lose it, they should have known better, and it's not going to destroy their life. So I think it's it just muddles the playing field and puts more financial bling dangling in the eyes of people that are trying to build wealth over time. And they, they look at their idols, whether it's Matt Damon or whoever, and say, I want to be like them. I'll do what they do. But what they don't understand is they don't see the entire journey that they did. If you look at wealth creation, 
investing does not make you wealthy. It can help compound the wealth that you have created. The way people get wealthy, the Rockefellers, name whoever you want, is they build something or they save money consistently over a very long period of time. That money they're saving is actually the wealth that they created from their labors that they're saving and they're investing it in order to preserve and grow it over a very long period of time. So that is how you create wealth. Investing, especially for the wealthy, is not about creating wealth. It's about preserving and growing what they already got. And if we try to do what they're doing, we're not playing the right game because we're not at the same spot in the journey as they are. And I think all of these alternatives that wealthy people do, and I know we're going to get into the study, the reason they invest in a lot more exotic things is one, because they want to have the financial bling when they walk down Rodeo Drive. And two, they know, as Len pointed out, that if they lose it, they're still going to be wealthy. And I would take a, a fair amount of caution in going down this road with if you're trying to build wealth. I like that. It's a lot less of a lottery ticket for them than it might be for the average person trying to stack a few Benjamins. Yeah. Uh, normally at this point in the show, we have our trivia battle. However, that, well, for the two people that are on this call, that ended very sadly, Paulette and Len, as uh, OG took home the prize last week for the year. But that also gave us time here at the end of the year for some creativity and some of our contributors that we love hearing from, like Roger, that we haven't also heard from in a long time. And one thing that you and I all know is that at holiday season, we tend to eat poorly. We tend to go to a bunch of events where we might uh, stick a bunch of stuff in our mouth that might not be great for us. So Angelo Poli, who is a guy who I've worked with this company now for a long time, MetPro. He's been an amazing resource for us, helping stackers just stay focused on the prize like we are with your investment strategy. So investing in your health Let's say hello to Angelo Poli from MetPro. Well, it's the end of the year, and you know what that means. People getting together, all kinds of events, and juggling so many things. That means we're often not paying attention to our health, which is why I love... With just a few weeks to go, talking to this gentleman here on uh, my mom's shortwave radio, Angelo Poli from MetPros here. How are you, man? Hey, Joe. I am great. Thanks so much for having me back. <laughs> well, let's do this. Help stackers bring this in strong, Angelo. As you know, we are short on time this time of year. Well, frankly, we're short on time all the time. But this time of year, especially, we're feeling the crunch. How do we keep health and wellness in front of us when we're feeling all stressed out? We've got 50 million priorities. Let's start there. You know, it's funny. Everybody says that to me. It says, well, what do you do if you just have no time? I assume every client is super busy because I have yet to meet that client who's like, oh, yeah, got all the time in the world. Absolutely <laughs> nothing going on. I haven't met that client yet. Wherever you are, whatever season of life you're in, I'm assuming you're busy. So that's what we need is just, you said it, to bring it home strong. And part of that is simply keeping it top of mind and having an actionable list of to-dos. So our coaches are constantly reviewing. Talk to me about where are you at? Where have you been? Where are you going? And that's basically a, an easy way to segue into a conversation to find out, okay, how's the person feeling today? What's your current circumstance, environment, and scenario? 
Now, where have you been the last week? So we have context, so we can plan for what's coming up. Look at your calendar. If you look three days in advance, what's on your social calendar? Can you look three days in advance and then plan to say, you know what, I'm still going to get in some physical activity. I'm still going to make health a priority. I'm still going to make sure I get sleep. And here's the big one. How about my food? Now, I'm not saying don't go and have a celebratory meal or a social meal with friends, uh, a season where you're busy and social. What I am saying is let health, longevity, vitality, if your goal is weight loss, let those things at least continue to be in the equation. And of course, what's the simplest, most effective way to do that? And it's advanced planning. Even if it means, hey, I'm going to have some snacks planned. I'm going to have lunches planned. I'm going to have some social events planned where I know I can still eat something that has a monicum of nourishment for my body. Let's talk about those snacks. Is there a best practice in planning out my snacks for the day? Yes. Prepare it while you have your breakfast, because then we get a twofer out of just one event. So at breakfast in the morning, when you're preparing something simple and quick, I want you to prepare a snack that you can have in the mid afternoon, commit to yourself, commit to me, commit to Joe, (laughs) that you can follow just a simple snack in the afternoon. And here are the attributes that we're looking for. We're looking for quick. We're looking for non-messy. It's a big one because if it's messy, you're not going to stop your day and deal with a bunch of gooey stuff and clean up. You're looking for low perishable. So that way it doesn't require a giant ice chest, which leads into the final one. We're looking for portable. Those are the attributes that you're looking for with a good snack. And now here's the catch. I prefer it to be a whole food. So I know in your mind you're thinking, well, I can do a bar, you know, one of those health bars. There are a handful that are passable, but my preference is going to be whole foods. And you can check all those boxes with simple things. I'm a big fan of nuts and fruit. You want to add a little bit more protein to the equation? Do some jerky. Things along those lines and those sort of things make the difference. And I have these conversations all the time with my clients because everybody wants to know what's the magic behind the transformations and the big weight loss or the big makeovers that you do. They're always looking for this special food or that special workout. And while that all plays a part, the magic is time management. If you can build into your routine, I have breakfast and I prepare a mid-afternoon snack. That's my number one favorite disruptive in a good way routine you can install. I love the idea of planning and planning, obviously, in a financial plan is the most important part, right? You're more likely to get where you want to go if you plan it out ahead of time. It sounds like diet and exercise are exactly the same. The planning creates the win condition. If you had some early wins, now what you have is a psychological scenario. What do we call it? Sunken losses in a negative way. You know, gamblers deal with that. The sunken loss, the sunken costs. Well, that can actually work in a positive way. Now you've invested in yourself. Now we're talking the financial terms. You make an investment. You want to see the returns on that investment. So when you start early, you start to see some early returns. So you have your breakfast. You have a reasonable lunch, even if it's not perfect. But you had that afternoon snack already planned and packed. So because you have that afternoon snack, your odds of overeating at either lunch or dinner are dramatically reduced. Now your blood sugar is not working against you. 
I'm not saying chocolate no longer tastes good because that's fantasy. What I am saying <laughs> is you're also going to be hungry. You're going to have stable blood sugar. You're equipped and empowered to potentially win that war. You're only battling the fact that chocolate tastes good. You're not also battling ravenous cravings and a scenario where your body's out of whack and starving at 930 at night. So you've invested in these positive behaviors. Now you also have this positive feedback loop of, of sunken costs where because you've gone out of your way to have a healthy breakfast, because you've had a healthy snack, because you didn't overeat at dinner, you're not going to want to crumple that up and throw it away and have a bunch of potato chips right before you go to bed at night because you're already feeling good and you're doing good for your body. So what you're doing is you're creating this pattern of good feedback. And that's how you win. You want to add one more layer to that. Well, I mean, that's, that's where we come in. That's what we do. We add that layer of accountability because let's be honest, Joe, it's easy to let yourself down, but you don't want to let down a coach. You don't want to let down your support group. And that's where having that extra voice saying, here's your best strategy. Here's your best angle. And oh, by the way, let me know how you did tomorrow. Your odds of succeeding are significantly higher. Same thing with a financial planner, anything you want to get better at when you have that team to support you, it really can make a difference. Jesse, my Met Pro coach, is a pain in the ass. I've said that a hundred million times. <laughs> she loves I you. Love, I love her. I, she knows I love her. She's amazing. And she drives me crazy because she knows she's like, hey, you got game night coming up tonight. She knows me. Thursday night is game night. She knows game night is when Joe goes off the rails. So Joe, what's your plan? Uh-huh. I'm like, Damn it. Damn it. Damn it. Let's talk about that, though. You know, a lot of people with get togethers, they have that issue, right? There's alcohol being served. There are all these foods. How do I navigate whatever the get together is to come out the other side of that clean? Damage control is a worthy effort. So a lot of people just throw up their hands and they say, well, it's not going to be good. So what the heck? Might as well be horrible. (laughs) Calories intake, it doesn't work that way. You can really do a lot of damage in a short window by throwing your hands up. And it really comes down to now the education. And there's some simple things. So in fact, when we start with our clients, we have a series of highlights that we take them through, scenarios so that they understand the basics of macronutrients and what the best food items to select are going to be in those social settings, what merely passable food items are and which are just a handful of the avoided all costs. And so that's part of the education that we go through with our clients. And now we're going to we're going to mimic that when it comes to desserts, snacks, treats. And here's the big thing, alcohol, just as an example. We know alcohol isn't helping. Alcohol has two facets, one, the facet of the attributes itself and how it impacts your metabolism how you metabolize the calories, the actual alcohol, the effects that has on your hormones and what your body does with that as far as storing body fat. Then there's the post-alcohol effect. And that is the, when I have alcohol, it's maybe not about the alcohol I consumed. It was about the uh, 19 bags of potato chips and the, uh, you know. Yeah, the the decision-making. Decision-making after, right? So both of those things have to be managed. You would be surprised though, There is a massive delta between the good alcohol and the bad alcohol. For example, if you have a, you know, hard alcohol, a clear, kind of a clear alcohol mixed in a 
low or non-calorie containing beverage. And I'm not, I'm not promoting and saying hard alcohol is the healthiest for you. What we're talking here is we're talking arbitrage and damage control at this point, Angela. That's it, Joe. What I'm saying is that there are, there's some hacks. We're talking about being able to have a, a glass of you know, of something that you like with the the least cellulite accumulation here, you'd be surprised at how minor, you know, a a shot of tequila can be or, or vodka or, you know, and you mix it in a handful of drinks. Now you compare that with something like a margarita or a pina colada. I can't express enough for the what a metabolic disaster that is. You'd literally get the trifecta of sugar, salt, alcohol, calories at the absolute worst time where your body has no option but to store it. And so that's where you come back and you, you get up the next morning, you go, whoa, how is that even possible? How did I gain three pounds of extra me overnight? Well, there's a big difference in your choices. And maybe you're saying, well, I don't like pina coladas and I don't like margaritas, but I also don't like, you know, hard alcohol. So what can I do? Well, that's where your coach can help you navigate. And here's the good, bad, and ugly. And here's a strategy. And here's a limit, by the way. We'll be reasonable, but let's have some boundaries. Let's set them at a point that's a good compromise. And those are going to be the winning scenarios. Remember, it's not what happens in one meal. It's not even what happens in one evening. It's how quickly you get back into your routine after. It's not the weekend away with the guys. It's not the family weekend. It's not the events. It's the leftovers from those events. We track it. This isn't some haiku that we're taught as coaches to repeat, but we're calculating down to the umpteenth degree. So we know a a person's progression with body weight, body composition, the whole nine yards and how they're progressing each day. So we can see trends and patterns and when people are doing the damage And it really is not about the one-offs. It's about the, well, I had a bad night and I'm eating better today, but I'm not quite back on track. When that lingers, that's where the damage is done. So my clients, they know me pretty well. I'm actually pretty loose with the, hey, you know, you want to have a weekend with the guys? You want to have a girls' night? You want to go out and enjoy it? Well, what do I eat? I want you to enjoy yourself. Here's some reasonable parameters. But they know come Monday morning, I'm going to be knocking on their door. That text message is going to ding through what was breakfast. And that's why I'm an absolute tyrant. I'm a stickler for it. I want you back on track because I know when it comes to transformations and progress and weight loss and all the things people hire me for, that's my battleground. If I can get them back on track, no problem. We're going to make that progress. I got to tell you, the best thing Jesse does is consistently reminds me that food is fuel. And especially when I was on that 40 city road trip, Angelo, she just continually said, just remember when you're going through airports that food is fuel and pick the right fuel. Like, because especially when I'm just grab and go, right? And just even that little lens of having somebody in the back of my head, AKA Jesse, <laughs> I don't have to be a scientist. I've got a scientist behind me, Jesse, who knows what the stuff is. And she's just given me the shortcut, which I love. Listen, you don't have time to know everything about everything. Let's talk about that for a second, because obviously people that have known me for a long time know how grateful I am to MetPro and to Jesse and to you, my friend. 
and all the good work that you guys do. It's just fantastic. But give people a little insight. If they go to metpro.co, it's not com, it's metpro.co slash SB, hmm. people will, you guys start off with an assessment. Yeah. So we're a high touch. We're like a consultant. So you're going to actually call and talk to someone who's a specialist and they're going to ask you a bunch of questions wanting to get a feel for what your nutritional and fitness lifestyle and culture currently is because that's our starting point. And, and I don't keep want to keep harping on weight loss because there's any goal, like energy, performance, muscle right. development. The, I'm just using weight loss because it's such a simple thing that most people can relate to. When somebody calls us up, typically they're, here's where I'm at. I'm not where I want to be. So we need to define where you want to be. And that's, that seems like, oh, yeah, duh, that's, isn't that obvious? Well, it's not that obvious because with a lot of canned programs and the one-size-fits-all, everyone says it's individualized, but the truth is it's not. Most programs are just, they, they run off the philosophy that if it's healthy, it's going to automatically result in the result you want. Healthy and metabolism are both important, but they're two totally different topics. What we need to make sure is we need to help you with a healthy, nutritious, nourishing lifestyle, but the numbers have to add up to the body weight and or composition or result that you're looking for. And that means there has to be some sort of delta between what you're currently doing and what you change it to. And the best way to identify the exact changes to make is to learn right where you're at today. What is your body currently used to? What is the absolute least painful, lowest hanging fruit of things to adjust? And that's what if you call us up, you're going to talk to Steve, you're going to talk to Missy, and they're going to really hone in on and give you an idea of the specific things because a lot of people are shocked. They're close. It's not that we're way off in left field. Some people are shocked to find out that with just a few Maybe surprising, but minor changes to their routine and strategy. It's like the floodgates are let loose. All of a sudden, change starts to happen. Now, when you start actually working with a coach, we don't guess anymore. We're going to baseline test. We're going to learn right where your metabolism is. We're going to take the guesswork out. But as far as that first conversation, even if we're not the right fit for you, it is our goal to leave every single person we encounter empowered and with more knowledge about the metabolism than when they started. So please reach out to us. We'd love to talk. It's metpro.co slash SB. Angelo, man, thanks for helping our stacker community bring the year to an end strong. Joe, thank you so much. Take on this holiday season with the help of Navy Federal Credit Union. When you use the Navy Federal Cash Rewards Card, you can earn up to 1.75% cash back on all purchases. I love it because when you pay your card off every single month, why not get rewards? And listen to these. You can redeem your rewards as soon as you earn them. And using the Navy Federal mobile app, that makes redeeming easier than ever. Enjoy the rewards of cash back without any annual fee, balance transfer, or foreign transaction fees. There's no limitation on rewards. And they never expire while your account is open. Learn how you can get cheer to last all year with the cash rewards card at NavyFederal.org. Our members are the mission. 
Insured by NCUA, rates are variable and range between 12.65% and 18% APR based on creditworthiness. ATM fees for cash advances are up to $1 at non-Navy Federal ATMs. Message and data rates may apply. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information. Well, you know, when I think about Navy Federal, I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country. And I also think about some of our active service members. want to say a special shout out to uh, my nephews, Colin and Nathan, who are both in the Navy. Colin is stationed outside Seattle, Washington on a submarine. And my nephew, Nathan, is in South Africa as an air traffic controller. And in Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants you also to celebrate members, many of whom go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. It's all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their family are eligible for Navy Federal membership. They offer 24-7 help from their U.S.-based member service. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Hey, this is Lou Mangello from WW Radio, and when I'm not at Walt Disney World or sharing my passion for Disney World or eating, I am stacking Benjamins. Time for the second half of this podcast, a second half brought to you by Magnify Money. Paul at Perhatch, you know what happens when you go to stackybenjamins.com slash magnify money? Uh, you have to accidentally clear your search history because you went to smackingbenjamins.com. <laughs> it's a whole, who is Benjamin Paulette? Smacking Benjamin. Don't find out. Scott, no, yes. Stackingbenjamins.com slash magnify money. If you don't want it to be awkward or anybody to see places you maybe shouldn't have been. And what you'll find out is you should have been here earlier because all those brick and mortar banks where you do your banking, maybe not best in class, over 92% of the banks out there rated head to head against each other at magnified money. You know what? As interest rates go up, we find that CD rates are going up, savings account rates are going up, banking fees becoming even more competitive. They were already pretty competitive. They're even more. So it's a great place to compare, ditch, switch, and save at magnifiedmoney.com, stackybenjamins.com slash money. All right. Let's get into this piece specifically that Nick Majuli put together. If you want to follow along with us at home, head to our show notes page, stackingbenjamins.com, and go to the show notes, and you can click on Nick Majuli's piece from Of Dollars and Data. But Len, I want to start with you here before we get to Nick's piece. If we're thinking about some of these more esoteric investments, Roger ended the first half of our discussion talking about all the potential pitfalls But from an engineering standpoint, are there maybe some questions we should ask or is there a line of questioning that we can glean from engineers to kind of ask smarter questions when we're not sure exactly what we're talking about? Yeah, well, and I I guess I kind of hit upon this the last time, so I'm going to repeat it, though, because it's very important. And, And the first question I think you should always ask is how much risk for a particular investment am I willing to take? Do you want to invest? How much safety do you want, for example? Do you want to put more in bonds if you're afraid of losing uh, your investment? If you're, if you're behind and you want to catch up, do you want to go into stocks? In, when you're looking at certain things, another thing you really should be looking at is are you being – especially when there's a hard sell. And I, and I noticed this with a lot of the cryptocurrencies. There's a lot of hard sell going on there that is designed to kind of force you into 
jumping in. And, and here's that fear of missing out again. You see that a lot. And you've got to make sure you're not being hard sold and you're investing for the right reasons and that the fundamentals are always there. I, I remember uh, one person was asking, they were suggesting a certain cryptocurrency and their reason for investing was, well, it's gone up 100% in the last six months. So obviously this is a great investment, which which obviously when I'm thinking is, well, obviously I'm probably buying high already, you know, and I'm probably going to end up selling low if I keep this up. That's never a really good reason for investing in anything. So you've got to look at the sources that are, are pushing some of these investments as well to know that what you're being told is actually legitimate or is it a speculative thing? And again, speculation is not always bad, but you've got to ask yourself how much are you willing to speculate and how much are you willing to lose? Nick writes that a month ago, Bank of America released their 2022 private bank study of wealthy Americans attempting to answer the question, how do wealthy people invest differently from anybody else? And if so, what can we learn from them? So let's dive into some of these. Roger, this was something that stood out to me. I don't know about to you. In particular, he writes, older households allocated on average 55% of their portfolios to stocks and stocks index funds. Younger households you would think would be north of that, right? I mean, just logic to me says, okay, they're going to have even more in stocks. They actually have less. Younger households of wealthy Americans allocated only 25% to stocks. In addition, older households put 2% of their portfolio in cryptocurrency. Younger households allocated around 15%. What the, what do you think's going on there? Older people didn't have the internet. They didn't have 24-7, this is what you need to do. And we were talking a little bit about that with uh, Paulette. I think of the internet as a huge infomercial. Virtually everything that is written has a reason behind it. To get you to read their site, to get on their email list, to send you certain ideas. And it's a competition to, for eyeballs. And so these manias of really sexy things get elevated, and you know, a lot of the stuff that we were talking about. So I think that makes sense. We, older people invested more traditionally. They had 401k plans. And that's generally where the majority of their assets were. And equities were one of the options in there. Whereas younger, younger wealthy people are on the internet and have access to all of the financial bling that's getting promoted. So I think it makes sense that that they would have a higher percentage of. And I also think it makes sense from a fact that it offers the carrot of short-term gain. And that's human nature that we want short-term results. Whereas any kind of more traditional investment, even real estate, pretty much anything, the value is in long-term, you know, what we used to preach about, which is the compound effect. Well, the compounding effect is like a hockey stick, Right. If you, if you do the compounding of investing over time, it's almost flat for the 90% of the journey. And all of a sudden you have this big tail up and to the right. That's not pretty enticing to someone who's 25 years old, who's really working hard, who is on a constrained budget. So I think there's a lot of that carrot that is attractive and they get pushed that message all the time. Yeah. Hey, Roger, have you noticed that people's perceptions have changed over and this goes back to how fast you think you're going to get your returns. I, it used to be when somebody would say, hey, you're going to get a 7% return or a 10% return. And people were like, oh, that's great. But now that doesn't even move the needle for a lot of people. They, you tell them, hey, you have a chance at a 10% return annually. And most people are like, what? That's it? Are you kidding me? 
And I think that's steering a lot of people into these more alternative, riskier investments just because it seems like, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but it just seems like people are, they want to get richer, wealthier, faster and instead of doing yes. the slow and steady. Well, we, we just came out of this mania phase too, Len. This reminds me a lot of the 90s when it was the new economy. It was the bubble economy of technology. And back then, if you were a value investment manager and you got a return of 15%, you were losing investors because the net fund or the <laughs> classy internet fund was returning 40, 50%. So even the more traditional asset classes always lose money to what is sexy now. And for me, the first realization of that was the 90s, right before the tech bubble burst. Yeah, I do think there's a lot going on there. To your point, Roger, this rocket ship we've been on, right? If I started investing in 2007, 2008, I've been almost straight up for 11 of the past 12 years. There was a slight hiccup, you know, in 13 in some asset classes. But generally, you were on a rocket ship to the moon. You could be somebody with 10 years experience, Roger, think you're a pretty savvy investor, and all you've seen is up, 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 up. Yeah, and I think we couple this in terms of alternative investments with another chart that's going the other direction, which is confidence in the country and the institutions. Yeah, well, that brings up my next point, which, Paulette, I want to turn to you because on this piece it says, Younger people not only are inundated to Roger's point with all this FOMO we're talking about, right? And all these bling investments, they see them all the time because they're where the marketers can get to them. Older people, not so much. I buy into that. But according to this piece, that's not all that's going on. Younger people also report that they're more skeptical of traditional investments. They're skeptical of the stock market. They're skeptical of, of index funds. Is that a good thing? don't know how much of a younger person I am now that I'm 40, but what I'm seeing is just the skepticism with all these traditional institutions, everything from government to financial to schools to hospitals. I used to think like, oh, the doctor's nice and he'll fix you. It's like, well, your, does your daddy have insurance for you? Because if not, we're going to let you die in the street. We don't really care. It's just these views of I don't trust the things that my grandparents used to trust because mm -hmm. we're so... I just think more and more it feels like our country, like everyone's out to get you. So the the banks, we just have a hard time trusting, especially after 2008. So if, you, if you're not that financially savvy and you see investments as the bank and it all just gets lumped together, I think then you can be a little bit wary of that. Len, Nick uh, Majuli points out in this piece that he thinks there may be issues on the way this is put together. When you're looking at, well, what did wealthy people invest in versus and, and the young people invest in, so there's a bias there in what they've invested in in the first place. So, And this goes back to what uh, I think Roger brought it up earlier. And that you, you, this, you're only seeing here because it's, it's focusing on the wealthy investors. It's not focusing at all on the people who maybe aren't wealthy anymore or were wealthy and are not wealthy anymore because they made some poor investments and they lost everything. So it's kind of skewed towards success. So you have to take a lot of this information with a grain of salt because it's not really a, it's not a truly scientific sampling. So it's, it's skewed towards success. And so just because what the wealthy are doing, you shouldn't assume that their allocation mix is going to be right for you. And on the same side, for the younger people who are were wealthy, that's probably, I think you mentioned that 
the people between 25 and 30 who had $3 million, yeah. that put them in the top 0.1% of all young people. Um, clearly, that is not something that you should just say, well, because their allocation mix you know, was higher on cryptocurrencies and alternative investments than maybe mine should be too. You, you shouldn't necessarily do that. I like the point, Len, I thought that he was making also along with all the points that you made was that if you're in your late 20s and you have $3 million, there's a pretty damn good chance that you're one of those survivors in these alternative asset classes, right? Either a survivor or or you could be like a buddy of mine who we graduated at the exact same time and he's fabulously wealthy now. Why? Because he went to work at Cisco Systems right out of college. And this is back when Cisco was just getting started and this is before – before the internet actually hit. And so now he's fabulously wealthy. So a lot of it has to do with maybe luck, so to speak. Yeah. So in time. No, seriously. We started this thing a decade ago because we heard podcasting was like the next big up. And when does that happen? Like, what's the, <laughs> was it Cisco? It was Cisco Systems. It wasn't, it wasn't podcasting. We're just fabulous. Oh, well. We're just waiting for the wealthy part now. I know that's right. We got half of it, Paulette. We've got we've got half of it. One question for everybody then, just to put a pin in this, and we'll have our guest of honor go last. Uh, how much attention should we pay then as to how wealthy people invest, Paulette? What's your takeaway? I am always looking at the pieces that the Kardashians invest in, so and just buying those uh, <laughs> skirts and shirts and body parts. And just hoping that that all comes back to me. So that's really my strategy. Me too. Me too. Roger, especially interested in uh, adding some Kardashian body parts, I think, right? Add some little butt padding, maybe. I have enough butt padding. Trust me. We, good thing we don't have out of here. Len, how much attention should we pay as to how wealthy people invest? You know what? I think you should worry about you. Don't worry about the wealthy people. Do you worry about you? And you start by asking, you, you do a little introspection on what your goals are and how you want to invest and how much risk you want to take. And that's where you start. You don't worry about what the others are doing. That's the worst way, I think, to, to invest. And don't let any, but by the way, don't let anybody hard sell you into, into something just because it's the next hot thing. You've got to make your own decisions and do what's right for you. Doug, how about you? We haven't included you in any of this so far. We should have. Doug sat here patiently. Doesn't mean I sat here listening. <laughs> how much How much attention should we pay to how wealthy people invest? Yeah, uh, I would say very little. Len just said it. I found myself in that situation where we scrimped and saved shortly after we got married to make sure we could move into one of the nicer neighborhoods in the area with a better school system. And that put us in a circle of people who considerably out earned us. And I frequently thought about, you know, how do we keep up and how do I make some of the same investments they're making? And how do I get fabulously wealthy? And frankly, I learned too late in the game, too late from a stress standpoint that you just have to focus on what your own goals are. And if you're happy, if you've got sort of intrinsic happiness, you're good, man. You do not need to be having all of the homes and the airplanes and the, and the boats and, and, and the vacations and all of those things that, that they have as long as you're happy uh, and reaching your goals. So it just it took me too long to learn that. Roger Whitney, you've got the last word, my friend. How oh my. much attention should we pay to how wealthy people invest? 
you sort of have everything that Doug and Len and Pollitt have said, I agree with. And it sounds, you know, almost trite and boring. And you have to ask yourself if you're thinking about this topic of alternative investments. It's a verse, what do you want to hear versus what you need to hear? What you want to hear usually is that there's a, there's a fast lane, that there is something that I can do that will help me skip, you know, go around boardwalk and get back to go, whatever the pieces are. That's what we want to hear. But what we need to hear is stuff that it's so easy to forget because it's not cool. And so I'm going to echo what they said. And if you want an alternative investment, especially if you're younger, that I will recommend to you right here on the show is that the best things that you can invest in that's alternative to traditional stocks and bonds is going to be your professional and personal network, becoming friends and nurturing those relationships, and the skills that you can have to build your 401k business or your side gig or to make yourself more attractive to get raises. That is the best investment you can make, especially if you're under 40. And so that's my thoughts on that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with alternative investments, but the more you complicate things, the more things you have to manage. And the the hard part with alternative investments is that it's not a purchase that you can get rid of the next day. You've signed up for a very long journey where you have no choice in how it plays out and no optionality. So I would say stick with the basics because the basics really do work, even if we're a little worried about the country and all that. I think that is a fantastic uh, place to end this discussion. Thank you, everybody, for a great discussion. By the way, thanks to our friend Nick Majuli for writing such a thoughtful piece. And again, we'll link to it on our show notes at stackybedjamins.com. Let's find out what all of you are doing. Uh, Doug, big plans this weekend? Uh, probably skiing. Plenty of snow up here these days. And um, looking forward to getting back on the boards. Awesome. Uh, Mr. Penzo, how about you? What's going on at LenPenzo.com? This week, we're taking a look at the nine biggest home repair scams. Oh. That's at LenPenzo.com. You know, you have those guys that will come to your door, and uh, that's as one example. And uh, there's lots of those kind of scams that they make these offers for you. So LenPenzo.com. Stop on by. You too, Doug, when you're done skiing. Okay. Len, it is the season, by the way, for scammers. The number of uh, messages I've gotten about how my package didn't get delivered on time. Yes. I've had like six in the past four days about, hey, yes. and you oh, know yeah. what? I'm sending tons of packages. And I I almost clicked on one because I had just literally got, which is what they're hoping for, right? I just gotten off right. Amazon and bam. Yeah, I've got the uh, fake mail from the credit card companies too. Oh, hey, your card's been uh, compromised. Call and let us, you know. They yeah. like to seize on that. When the lotto was at $2 billion, my mother received several calls that she had won $9.5 because we're just all thinking about that stuff, right? We're thinking about the packages we've sent. We're thinking about the lottery, and she was convinced she'd won that $9.5 million. Yeah, my credit card company, they were like, they were like, was this your charge on smackingbenjamins.com? And I was like, oh, no, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> that was Doug's. Um, so we are getting ready to do a 2023 goal-setting workshop on December 13th, next Tuesday. Really excited about that because I'm all about how do you know what you need to do day to day is has to be from your vision has to be from your plan. And then of course, there is the replanning as well, which is so important, which is why we don't just make plans once a year. 
And we are getting ready to start another season of Powerhouse Writers early in the year. Really excited about that. It's been fantastic uh, this go around. And so all that is at powerhousewriters.com. There's a good gift, I think, for the writer in your life, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Connect with you and, and get somebody signed up. Yeah, I had uh, one guy was really sweet. He said, my, my wife has always wanted to write a book and he got her coaching. It was more my personal editor, like my creative writing, yeah. uh, editing, coaching side. And I just thought that was the sweetest gift. I think overall, the best gift is to help someone make their dream come true. No matter what that means, that is always the most beautiful gift. That's fabulous. Speaking of fabulous, Roger Whitney, thank you for hanging out with us again. I always feel like uh, we don't get your wisdom enough around here, my friend. Thank Aww. you so much. Aww. I, I can't top well, Paula's sentiment of helping people get, <laughs> get their dreams come true. And you'll never top Len's jokes either. No. So, there you go. <laughs> no. Roger, what's going on at the Retirement Answer Man show? So we have two things. Obviously, Retirement Plan Live, which I mentioned, which is January, where we're gonna ha- you're going to be able to listen to an actual listener, and I'm going to walk them through building out their project, their retirement plan. And that will lead to the open enrollment of the Rock Retirement Club, so people can do have their dreams come true too, Paulette. Good. And then, um, uh, we're all here for. Yes. And then this time of year is my time to think of you know, my world domination summit, I call it, where I'm going to re- look at the podcast and what people want and what they need and think of it with fresh eyes so we can have a whole new show starting in January. Awesome. And that's the Retirement Answer Man, wherever finer podcasts are listened to. Yes, it is. All right. That's going to do it for today. Thank you, everybody, for hanging out with us. This is not the only way that we help people with their money. We actually have a bunch of fun channels. So head over to stackybenjamins.com slash welcome, and you can see all the different things we have going on here in mom's basement. But for now, Doug, what should we have learned today, man? Well, Joe, there are three things everybody should have learned today listening to the show. First, take some advice from Roger Whitney and the team. No need for FOMO about what the wealthy invest in. You'll get there just fine and possibly quicker with tools that are available to all of us. Second, take some advice from Angelo Poli. Think beyond the cookie tray. Leave something for Santa instead, and maybe you'll cruise into 2023 feeling better and ready for some big goals. But the big lesson? Turns out, you don't even have to retire to feel like you have. You can get the same feeling of freedom just by sitting around in your stolen terry cloth robe, eating chicken pot pies, and watching cable news all day. I've never felt so free. Thanks to Roger Whitney for joining us today. You can listen to his podcast, The Retirement Answer Man, wherever you're listening to us right now. We'll also include links in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. Thanks to Angelo Poli for hanging out with us today. You'll find his work at metpro.co. Thanks to Len Penzo for joining us today. You can find Len at lenpenzo.com. He spent extra and put the M on the end. Thanks also to Paulette Perhatch for joining us today. If you're looking for a writing coach or to start a freelance writing business, head to powerhousewriters.com. Paulette's next group session starts in January. This show is the property of SP Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2022, and is written in part by Paulette Perhatch, who helps writers power their words, their work, and their earning potential with her Powerhouse Writers Coaching Program. Find out more at powerhousewriters.com. Thanks also to our team who made today possible. 
Karen Repine plotted out this episode for us and schedules our guests. Brooke Miller handles the show notes and creates our amazing newsletter, The 201. Tina Eichenberg makes the video version of this show, and both Autumn Seahigh and Gertrude Smith are our social media mavens. Not only should you not take advice from these losers, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. I want to talk about here in the after show, guys, bad investments. We were talking about, you know, some of these investments that may or may not be good, but there's sometimes when somebody was just selling you. Len, you were talking earlier about hard clothes, getting hard clothes sometimes yeah, on investments. Yeah. Yeah. I remember one time we were in Orlando getting ready to run a marathon and we stayed at one of these big, huge resorts that I didn't know was, uh, well, part not just resort in quotes, if you know what I mean. And they said that they could get me into uh, one of the Disney parks for free. And I was like, really? <laughs> that would be fabulous. Just because I'm staying here, they're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, all you do is we take a tour of the resort. I'm like, okay, yeah, I want a tour of the resort anyway. That would be awesome. And it was funny because everybody in my group of friends knew what was going on except one person. One. And by the way, I'd already been a financial planner for a long time. I think we'd had this show for like four years at that point, and I'm just happily going along with everything this person's saying. Oh, yeah, great. Well, then, you know, we'll sit down and we'll show you. And I, I literally, I said to them, I went, what if I don't have time to stay around for the whole presentation? And they kind of look at me like, could I still just get the tickets? Like, could I get the, t no, you have to stay for the whole presentation. Well, I have to run this marathon and, you know, my wife might want to do, oh, she can come too. Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> All of a sudden, partway through, it just, I don't know why, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Oh, my God, this is a timeshare. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that wasn't a good one. Paulette, somebody tried to sell you on something good? Yeah, I was in college, and I was having a really hard time finding a job. And then I was like, oh, there's this job like selling knives, whatever. Like, yeah, I'll do that, whatever. It's so funny because sometimes you can – I love the when you recognize the feeling of a hard sell because you just know something is up. You know, I said, look, oh, well, if I start working for you guys and they were like, oh, we haven't offered you the position yet. And there was just something about the way that I could tell that the guy was making it seem like working there or being part of this program was like so amazing. I'm like, I'm an unemployed college student. Like, this is not <laughs> like, obviously we got this. And it was the same kind of feeling too. At one time, personal training at a gym, this guy was hard selling me so bad. And I told him, I was like, it's really making me uncomfortable how much you're hard selling me right now. And he didn't even stop when I said that. And it was just like, <laughs> wow. and every time I go past that gym, I, I cringe. It's just such a good reminder of why it's a terrible idea to even do that. Maybe make people make more money, but I hate that. Ugh. 
But those Cutco knives are amazing, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Yes, they are. Maybe they were. They are, but... they are pretty cool. You have a set, Roger. Uh, I do not, but we give them a g- as gifts, but not to you, Joe. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> See how fast that was, Len? Just a hard fast one. Yes. <laughs> Fastball down the middle. And my answer is, and I've got four reasons I don't play with cut coat knives. And that's only for people watching us on YouTube. Anyway, <laughs> I count them on my last three fingers. Uh, Doug, Doug, you were a knife salesman, right? I did. I actually fell for it, Paulette. The sell job on my knife selling experience wasn't so blatant that I sniffed it out. Or I'm just not as smart as you, probably the latter. But uh, I went in for the interview, you know, dressed to the nines, had my my pinstripe suit on and everything. I think I had just finished my freshman year of college and thought that's what you do for interviews. And it was a big group presentation thing. And all the other kids in there were, you know, just wearing jeans and T-shirts. And, you know, then they pull me in to have the one-on-one interview. And they immediately tagged me as management potential <laughs> because I... Uh, <laughs> You dressed for the part. Clearly, I'm an overachiever. The guy asked me later if I wanted to go out to lunch, and we literally just drove to, like, we didn't even need to get in his car. We left the place, but went to the Arby's, two, two storefronts down from where we were, and then he didn't even buy me lunch. But I sold knives, and the, and the shtick there was, you were going to get paid whether you actually sold knives or not. You just had to have 10 sits and if you could get the person you were sitting with to sign that you sat with them and gave the presentation, you were going to get some money. And I thought, well, that's easy. And uh, I did that and turned in my slips and didn't get paid. And their reasoning was, this is going to make a lot of people angry. You weren't sitting with the head of the household who was in charge of finances. You were sitting oh, with the housewife. No. Yeah, I knew Paula's head was going to explode, oh. and rightly so. <laughs> rightly so. Uh, that was really infuriating. Oh. So I never got, I sold a few sets of knives over the summer, but I never got paid. I oh bailed on it halfway God. through the summer. Oh, that's but t- it do you was, want to call out the company? You want to call out the company? Well. I don't even remember. It wasn't Cutco. It was a kind of a knockoff of, of Cutco, but I, I don't even remember anymore. I would if I could. In their misogynistic ways, but. (laughs) Len, I got to imagine you've been offered some pretty crappy investments before. You know, I got a weird one once from this guy from Egypt and he called me to invest (laughs) in a, in a tourism company, but he asked me to ask three other people to invest in it as well. And then I would get paid from their investments. Of course I declined it. You know why? Why? Why did you decline it, Len? It was a pyramid scheme. <laughs> How was that? Was that a little snappier? Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Not even close. I'll try better next time. Why are there tears streaming from your eyes? <laughs> oh, oh, man. That's hilarious. So good. Roger, save us, please. <laughs> I have very similar stories to Doug, Len, and Paulette, for sure. But the one I think, what I'm thinking of is my father-in-law asked me to do some due diligence because his neighbor had this great investment opportunity where he had virtually guaranteed returns of about 17%. Oh, jeez. And so I went and talked to his neighbor, and the company was actually based in Waco, and it was Life Settlements. 
Oh, so I yeah, drove yeah. down with this was back when before they blew up, and th- I drove down with a, my partner, and we actually spent a day with the CEO in their headquarters. Interestingly, they had taxidermy of of uh, well, I guess it wasn't taxidermy, but they had like dinosaur bones structures, like in a museum. There, he was a dinosaur dude, and so we spent the entire day, and my partner and I are driving back, and we weren't talking at all. And then about halfway through, it's about a two-hour drive. I'm like, you know, we can't, I, I don't know what the risk is. They answered every question. It totally made sense. All the projections on paper made total sense. And then I said to him, but just because you can't see the risk doesn't mean it's not there. And so we just passed on the whole thing and definitely tore our father-in-law too. But that, I think with alternative investments, that's really the key is because everything will look great on paper. You'll, I've never read a pro forma for a real estate deal or a investment deal that looked bad. And the pedigree of the people involved generally all looked way smarter than I am. None of it is all, it's all just guesswork. So that's my bad investment story of just because you can't see how it's wrong go with your gut a lot of times and you're probably right. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is military appreciation month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.